Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. to hear a word from the Lord this morning, I would ask you to open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. And our scripture from this morning comes from verses 18 through 27 of James, chapter 1. Bible check. Bible check. Bible check. Sword check. James chapter 1, verse 18. If you have it, say amen. The word of the Lord. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and does not yet keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle James who makes it so clear. Now that we have heard, God, we pray that you pierce our hearts, convict us, remind us of who we are, and call us to a life that glorifies your Son. We ask these things trusting in the victory that's already been won on our behalf. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Say it again one more time. Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. Uh, We are here on our third installment of our summer book club series. Uh, If you have not been with us for the past couple of weeks, we are journeying through the book of James. Um, more or less verse by verse, 
but I'm essentially doing about half a chapter each week. And so I want to invite you to participate in the summer book club. Uh, You can um, certainly join us each week. And there is materials that are being made available for you to engage and dive in to an in-depth study that we can gain some mastery of the word of God. Uh, I've said over the last couple of weeks that you do not need me or anyone else to teach you. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit guides us. And so as we invest our time and energy into understanding the word of God, God will reap a harvest in our efforts. Amen? Um, I I need to do a little bit of a uh, check again, maybe a little bit of prodding. Uh, How many people have seen the study guides that have been going up and read it? Okay. Okay. How many people have spent some time in the past week reading or listening to and digesting the book of James chapter 1? That's better. That's better. I want to remind us again that this series is participative and that it will not bear any fruit unless you invest the required time in reading the word of God for yourself. Um, those study guides are available online. You can get them emailed and we can work out those logistics. But more importantly than looking at that study guide is you allowing the word of God to marinate in your spirit. I've been doing the audio version of the book most days. James chapter one is about four minutes long. I dare say that every believer can allocate four minutes a day to spend some time in the word of God. So please, I want to nudge you, I want to prod you, I want to encourage you to please engage in this text and God will weep an incredible harvest, especially with this book because there are so many subtle themes that are going on in this text. There are so many little nuances and James repeats himself and as you go through it time and time again, God will continue to speak and reveal new things, I, I promise. Um, and I, I mentioned in the study guide, one of the things that I, I shared this week is that we can miss, if we're not careful, how radical and groundbreaking what James is saying in this chapter is. We, we, we can look at it with, with uh, 21st century eyes and not realize that at the time it was written, James was challenging the entire religious system of his day. It would have been controversial. It would have been radical. It would have been, uh, it would have been a cause of, of, of disputes and arguments. What he was doing essentially is he was defining what religion means. And so I've entitled today's sermon, Religion Redefined. So as we look into the text, I, I um, gave out in the, uh, in the outline, um, in, in the sermon notes, a bit of an outline. But I mentioned to you that this is kind of a work in progress. So as I continued to chew on the text, I came up with a different outline from what you saw earlier in the week. Um, and so I wanted to first give you this proposal for this block of text that, that James is taking us on a bit of a journey. That, that we start out with this point and then we dive down into the depths of where he calls us to this point of tension, to this point of questioning, to this, to this turning point on whether we will be able to engage and receive what the text has for us. And then after we get to that kind of crucial decision point, then he elevates the conversation back to show us what God has us on the other side of that. So let me show you how I ended up looking at the text. The first one is verses 18 through 20 of James chapter 1. And it talks about um, 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, we ended the text with that last week. And by the way, I wanted to point out something. Um, You have in your Bibles, you have uh, big numbers for chapters and little numbers for verses. And many of us have these little headers and sections. James didn't write that. That was somebody else who stuck that stuff in there. Matter of fact, in Greek, it's just one big, long, run-on sentence. There's no punctuation. It just all runs together. So this is someone's interpretation of how James was thinking. And, and so I want us, A, not to be bottled in by that, not to be framed by that. And so it's very important that I want you to see that we ended last week on verse 18, and we're starting this week with verse 18. James hasn't changed subjects. He's still in the same stream of consciousness. So don't be confused by headers and chapters. James is still talking about, I know that you are a people who are familiar with sufferings and trials. And it is imperative that you develop perseverance that God may contend to, uh, in, uh, continue to make you fruitful in spite of your difficult circumstances. And so he's still in this stream of consciousness talking about how we view money and how we treat other people and, and all of these ways that we can respond correctly to a way that will make our life fruitful, even if we're in difficult circumstances. And he gets to this point that don't you know that you are intended to be first fruits of what God has created? First fruits, special, holy, set apart, dedicated back to God. That's what he chose for you to be. And so we start this next session with that beginning because he says you are intended to be fruitful. And then he gets real specific in 19. Take note of this. Now that you know you are supposed to be fruitful, let me give you an example of what that looks like. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because if we don't live our lives that way, particularly if we are wrapped up in anger, then we cannot live the righteous life that God desires. He chose you to live a righteous life, and we're going to see how to live fruitfully even when the world tries to beat righteousness and truth right out of us. So that's 18 through 20. The next part, he goes on in verse number 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Let me stop there. God is not surprised by the state of the world today. He is not overwhelmed by the moral depravity that we see, by our tendencies to kill one another and war against one another and and destroy emotionally, physically, and spiritually one another. He He saw it coming a long time ago. And he said, I know that as man has been from time beginning, these things will be prevalent in your life. These things will be normal for your surroundings. But I am still calling you to get rid of that stuff. How do you do that? Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James makes it clear that our fruitfulness is a product of the saving word that God put inside of us. That's where salvation comes from. This ability to transcend our circumstances, our histories, our backgrounds, our family lineage, and be fruitful is dependent on the salvation that comes from the truth that is contained in the word of God and manifested by Jesus Christ. So we we continue now. The word is important for this fruitfulness. And so here's where it gets a little personal. 
he causes us to take a look at ourselves. Verses 22 through 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I can come to church every Sunday. I can listen to sermons. I can download sermons. I can remix sermons. I can YouTube sermons. I can hear all kinds of good stuff about the word. But that doesn't really mean anything if I'm just merely listening and not adjusting my lifestyle and my attitude and my behavior to let that word transform me from the inside out. And if I do that, I'm just fooling myself. My religion, as we will see, is ultimately worthless. And then he goes on. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at it, at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Can you imagine that? You get up in the morning, you walk into the bathroom, brush your teeth, wash your face, you look in the mirror, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. Ready time to go to work. You walk outside, you get in the car, you sit down, and you forget completely what you look like. Don't know if your hair is combed. Have no recollection. And here's what happens. Don't, don't miss the spiritual connection for this. Because what he's saying is, you look at yourself in the mirror, and what do you see? You see God. Because God chose you to live the righteous life that he had for you and he implanted his word inside of you so that you could be who he is a reflection of him but the problem is i look at myself and i see the compassion and the mercy and 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 the love and the forgiveness but then i walk outside and people cut me off I go through my life and people are rude and people treat me bad and they lie on me and and, and they do all these horrible things. And all of a sudden, I'm living my life not looking like the person that I saw in the mirror earlier. I have forgotten who I am. And I end up living this alternate lifestyle, this alternate reality, far removed from my true self that I see when I look in the mirror and God is smiling back at me. That's huge. Now, what what he's saying here is when you do that, that happens when we look at ourselves. And if you really look at that word a little deeper, it means glancing at. You ever glanced at something? Just a passing glance. You don't really remember it very much. Usually it's just kind of, oh, caught something out of the corner of my eye. And so when I'm looking at my life, when I'm looking at my decisions, when I'm looking at where I spend my time, when I'm looking at how I spend my money, when I look at where my priorities are, and I can say, yeah, I'm not doing too good at that, and then let me get back to what I was doing with my life. That's glancing. But it says, when I look intently at the perfect law, the perfect word, when I spend time marinating in the word of God and allowing him to convict me, allowing him to correct me, allowing me to be in his presence long enough so that his thoughts become my thoughts, his ways become my ways, his priorities become my priorities, his father's business becomes my business. And I look at my life. And I look at my checkbook. And I look at my calendar. And I look at my marriage. 
And I look at my relationships and I see whether or not I'm looking at the face of God. And if not, I allow the truth of God to redirect me. Now that's deep. That's what James is leading us into. He's leading us into this point of real, true self-examination. He said, don't just take a passing curse at your life. Don't just say, oh, yeah, well, I'm not perfect. God knows my heart. Oh, I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. (laughs) But look intently at the reality of our lives and see if it matches up with what we hear about the true nature of God because when I look at the nature of God and then I look in the mirror, we're supposed to look alike. And we have that decision point. We have, we have a choice to make in that moment. Once we look intently and we understand who we are and what God has called us to be, then we have a choice of whether or not we're going to respond. Now, he goes on to tell us that if we do this well, Number uh, Verse number 25, but the man who looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed. He becomes, it, what he's saying is that blessings follow faithfulness. Let me say that again. Blessings follow faithfulness. Blessings come after faithfulness. So we keep looking for blessings, but we're not examining have we been faithful in order to receive the blessings. But what he's saying is that it's very clear that if you look at that and you study it and you you allow the word of God to, 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 to change your thoughts and to change your attitude and to change your lifestyle, then the blessings of God will flow naturally into it. And there's a freedom in it. There's a freedom in the word of God. It sets us free from those things that entangle us and bind us and and the same traps and cycles of self-destruction we fall into. We're free from all that. The word elevates us out of what we would be on our own strength. And it ultimately leads back to this last part in verse number 26 and 27. If we can do that, if we consider ourselves religious, we get a few sanity checks. He goes back to that tongue thing. If you think you're doing it, if you think you're religious, and of course, we all think we're religious. We all think we're spiritually connected. He said, well, for a litmus test, why don't you look at your tongue? Ouch. He said, look at your tongue. And if you don't have the ability to keep a tight rein on your tongue, once again, you're fooling yourself. And he tells us in quite plain language, our religion is worthless. And he's calling us to be reconciled with God, to put off our false self and to put on our true self. I want to go back really quickly to verse number... um, uh, to verse number um, 19, it says, uh, be, be um, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. There is something about anger as another litmus test. You know, it's almost, it's almost socially acceptable to be angry these days. We've got reasons to be angry. We've got um, 
uh, symptoms and we've got uh, uh, diagnosis of anger. But what God is saying is that when we are dominated by the feelings of anger and frustration, we can't possibly be living the lives that God has called us into. Particularly true for men. We walk around with this anger bottled up. And if we're not careful, it explodes. And like a bomb, it destroys everything around us. But he's saying, you got to get rid of that stuff. It says, get rid of the filth. Get rid of the dirt, the pollution of this world. And I love that phrase, pollution. Because I don't have to go looking for pollution in California. It just shows up. I could just walk around and I'm just breathing in pollution with absolutely no effort on my own. I'm surrounded by the pollution of this world. I thought of it this way. Suppose like you're in a mall and you're walking through the aisles of the mall uh, of a store, down the store aisles, and people are standing there on the sides. And as you go by, they just give you stuff for free. Here, here's a coat. Oh, here's a hat. Here's some new shoes. And they just keep putting things on top of you as you go by. And it's all free. But this, what it's saying is it says you got to take that stuff back off because it's filthy stuff. I don't have to try to become angry. I don't have to try to be selfish. I don't have to try to be manipulative and uncompassionate. The world just throws that cloak over my shoulder without any effort on my part. But he says you got to strip it away. you got to be mindful that the things that the world is putting on top of us, changing our priorities, changing our thinking, changing our identity is not who we really are. And if we follow that through to verse 27, we find that religion that God our Father accepts. Now that's an interesting point because if he accepts some, that means he rejects some others. Yeah, I'm going to keep moving on that one. But what we call religion, God can reject, but he finds pure and faultless religion that looks after orphans and widows in their distress and keeps ourselves from being polluted. It's in our compassionate service and giving and loving of others and our protection of ourselves, not allowing the world's influences to dominate our thinking and our attitudes and our actions that we become pure and faultless in the sight of God. Now, there's a lot in there. This is how I saw the passage. But what I want to talk about is last week I talked about the obstacles to fruitfulness. I wanted to do a quick recap because James unpacked some steps that we can be fruitful even in difficult circumstances. So I just want to walk through this and point out a couple of things that we might not have seen. In verse, uh, verse 18, it says, he chose to give us birth. God chose you. You didn't choose God. You not doing God no favors by worshiping him. You aren't kind enough to feel like he gives, uh, he deserves some attention and praise. Ephesians 2, 8 says, even our faith is a gift from God. I didn't even manufacture my own faith. God allowed me to know him and to accept him and to be in a relationship with him. He chose me for something far beyond whatever I could choose for myself. And that's the beginning of me understanding fruitfulness, that it's God's initiation. It's God's victory. It is God doing the work. I merely go along and be part of what God is calling me into. Number two, but we do have the responsibility for responding. Again, we take off those things that are not um, 
that are not of God in verse 21. And we live and we walk and we think with a little more caution than the world would tell us to. I was talking to a brother after the first service. He says, yeah, uh, so I like that verse. But, you know, sometimes when God puts something on your heart, aren't you supposed to respond to it right away? And I said, well, yes. And then he said, yeah, but sometimes it turns out it wasn't God talking. Well, yes, it was. Sometimes we respond and it's really our flesh. It's really our pride. It's really our ego. And so what it's saying is one of the best things we can do to be outside of the patterns of this world is to slow down in responding to people, particularly people that have hurt us or wronged us. We don't have to tell them about themselves right at that moment. You can, you can, you can tell them a little later. Let it marinate for a little while. And, and then he says he calls us something. Matter of fact, listen to what they're saying. One of the pastors here used to say something that that has always stuck with me. He says, even your enemies don't lie about you all the time. And I love that statement because someone who's critical, someone who's attacking, there may be a nugget of truth in their tirade. And before I just start defending myself, before I start coming up with the comebacks, let me be slow to speak and intentional about listening because there may be a word from God from them. God can use anybody. He can use animals and your enemies to speak a word of truth into your life. Uh, So we have choices about how we respond in those situations that we can choose to reflect God. And then it ultimately gets down to what we do. Am I acting in a way, is my behavior becoming a a reflection of how, you know, that phrase, what would Jesus do? Which I think is often overused, but there is some value in that because it causes us to stop and pause and think, is my next word or action glorifying and representing God? And if it doesn't look like it, if my attitude or my decisions or my words don't ever look like Jesus, my religion doesn't do me any good. And it certainly doesn't glorify God. And so I, I, have to, I have to take some time. And again, it gets back to the, to the looking and, and the listening and, and seeing, is my lifestyle really mapping up with, with, the, with the picture of God that I see when I look in the mirror, when I look at my true self? You see, you are a spiritual being. We're trapped behind enemy lines right now. We're living in this fallen, broken world. The Bible says that the prince of the air, the prince of this world has much power and influence, but you are a citizen of heaven. You are a spiritual being made holy and righteous from the time God first breathed breath into your life. And he wants you to look like him. He wants you to talk like him and act like him. And he rejoices when we do that. You are a reflection of a perfect and holy and true and righteous God. See, the problem, what what we think is we think that we are, are, are sinful people trying to pull off a righteous life. And we can't figure out why we can't do it. But that's not really who you are. When God made you, He said, you're the best thing he's ever made in this world. He made you and said, this is very good. 
That's my son. That's my daughter. Not only did I put my spirit in them, but I put my word in them to allow them to go through this life and look and act just like me. You are glorious and divine and precious to God. He doesn't want you to fake acting righteous. He just wants you to pull off the stuff and reflect who you really are. I think sometimes we're hard on ourselves. Yes, it's true. We're not perfect. Yes, it's true. We sin every day. But we can get this mindset that God is walking around like we're walking around on eggshells and we're just hoping that God doesn't zap us with a lightning bolt when we mess up really bad. And it's true. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is grieved when we sin. But it also said God rejoices when we do right. The smallest things, angels are singing, the Lord is rejoicing. He is so happy about you when you look and act and walk and talk like he does. He rejoices. He loves you. He's happy with you. He just wants you to do more and more of what you're already doing that he can reflect himself through you more and more. But we got to stop thinking and beating up on ourselves and feeling so bad about ourselves. You are the best thing God ever made. I mentioned to the people... um, in the sermon notes that I had a special surprise for you this morning. I want you to watch um, a a bit of a video clip. Now, this is from uh, the mission trip to Grenada. Um, And mostly it's going to be from our young people who spent some time at an orphanage. And then after the orphanage, they went to a, uh, a care home for those that are severely disabled. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I just wanted you to watch this clip because to me, it embodies this text. It says, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, prepare your hearts to see how God is moving among the hearts and minds of our family. Please watch the video. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.